Welcome once again to the NHL Executive Suite. I'm Deb Placey, and we are with Ray Shiro. Of all the father-son stories in the NHL, this is one of the best. Ray's dad was an all-time great coach, Fred Shiro, who won a couple of Stanley Cups. Ray has now won a Stanley Cup as a general manager. He was an assistant GM for a long time for Ottawa and for Nashville. And he's also a general manager that I covered on a day-to-day basis for a few years with the New Jersey Devils. And we're so happy to have him in the executive suite. Welcome. Great to be here, Deb. Nice seeing you again. I've heard some of these with you, and um, I think I'm ready. Okay, all right. I'm sure you're ready. Although, (laughs) I'm sure you would rather be doing this with your team gearing up for a playoff run. Yeah, like last year. That'd be fun, huh? Uh, So, are we far enough along in the season to call this a disappointment? No, I don't think, actually, um, record-wise, in terms of where we are as a team or as a franchise or where we were two years, like, this is my fourth year, so last year, obviously, was a fantastic season for us on and off the ice, and um, in terms of disappointing record, yeah, but in terms of disappointing, two years ago, uh, the 16-17 season, that was disappointing. A, um, I think we're, at that point, um, that was right before we had... In the 16 and 17 drafts, we ended up having, I think, 20 picks overall, maybe most in the league. And so that was a year where it was a transition culturally where you wanted to try to get to. And I was disappointed in myself and I was, you know, myself and John Hines and that we, that's not, you know, the type of team that we wanted. The, the first year in 15, 16 was established respect in the league again. And um, in terms of the work ethic of the players was the most skilled team. But at the end of the year, my goal in 15, 16 was just earn respect to the league, how we played. Um, at the end of the year, I know our last game was, I think, against Toronto in uh, game 82 and at home. And I said, a successful year, I was asked, like, like in training, I'm like, game 82, that our fans at, after game 82, whether they're going to the playoffs or not, they see the vision we have, sharing that vision. But the third thing being, when that game 82 was over, they respect the effort the team gave and they can be proud of it. And I think that we established that. So the second year, I think we gave a lot of it back. And um, so for the you know last season, going to training camp for 17-18, goal again was asked training camp, is there any respect back in the league? I think we lost it, we gave it back. And I think last year was the 17-18 season, was a, a, a transformation for, for me culturally. And it's just a, a combination of getting lucky, well, being bad enough to be lucky to, to win the lottery and with Nico Heeshear and but also, you know, Will Butcher signed with us as a college free agent, but also Jesper Brack comes in. That group of guys and um, and some of the veterans that we had, but also the younger players that these kids, they just love to practice. They love to learn. They want to be around the rink. They want to – and that was a start to, to me that leads to this in terms of culturally. It's, it's so different than it was two years ago. And um, obviously with a lot of draft picks this year, we have a lot of kids that are eventually turning pro in the next – maybe this summer, next year – but we're starting to finally see, and that was a year ago, some of these younger players that we've drafted or been fortunate to sign as a free agent like Butcher and, you know, to kind of set the table or stage as to what we are. And, um, you know, it's been a hard year in terms of injuries at our goaltending early. Disappointing. I guess you could use it, but I'd use a, a different context of the disappointing part. What context would you use? Just in terms of the record, we could be disappointed, but not the process we're going through to get where we want to go and um, not ever deviating from what we talked about and how we're going to do it. And But also, you know, going from the oldest team in the league to one of the youngest, obviously. So, you know, with the number of draft picks we have and free agents and cap space, and, you know, we talk about culture all the time, and I say all the time that there's no industry, there's no business, there's no sports team that says, I want to have a bad culture. Got to change the culture. What is that? I don't even know what that means. 
culture. I can look at them in the dictionary. It's kind of a buzzword. It is, but you can look at them in the dictionary, what it means. When it can, it does, I don't believe that. I believe you have a culture when you feel it. And I've felt it last year. I still feel this year in terms of what we have and what we're about. And you know, the kids that are broke through last year for us and kids that are on the team this year and next, they're started with us in development camp after they mean. So that, this is a process gone through. So that is culture. You feel that. And it's a really good, it's a tough stretch. I mean, right now we've, you know, Taylor hasn't played since almost 30 games. And, but part of the process we're going through and it's not, we haven't deviated. And, you know, our managing partners, Josh Harris and David Blitz are fantastic, been behind us 100% and makes it possible. And but again, we have a little ways to go here. But to answer the question to start with, it was more fun last year. <laughs> <laughs> but this is more fun than two years ago, put it that way. Okay. So you mentioned playing without Taylor Hall. What the heck is going on with Taylor Hall? He's not playing. <laughs> uh, no, he had a, uh, he had a scope done last week. He'll only come back this year if he's 100% safe, at, you know, had practices. And if not, you know, I think we in April 6th, something like that. So we'll see. But, you know, he hasn't played since December 23rd. So that's obviously been difficult. And, you know, again, if he's 100% comfortable, confident. And part of that, too, is mental. He hasn't played in since December 23rd so we'll see where we are in a, in a few weeks and obviously we're a better team with him and obviously last year and being basically healthy the whole year made a big difference for us this doesn't sound long term the intent still to sign him long term he's been incredible for our franchise obviously with him not in our lineups a big as hurt um, I think we've been really good for him and it's been you know over three years and, and last year but it's he's been something for our franchise that really haven't had like that in a long time as you know so um, but that's, you know, our intention is to really sit down with him and try to see if, you know, he feels the same way or, but again, at the end of the day, we still have another year left, but the intention is to sit down somewhere after the season, well before July 1 and just kind of, it's not like, you, you, hey, here's the contract, sign it up. Or he, it's like anything, like, okay, we're going to get into some longer term or it's like uh, with a free agent. What, okay, what are you selling? What are we doing? So they need to know that. And I want to know that from their standpoint, what they're, and, um, you know, I think, the respect and relationship both ways have been really good. And, um, you know, it's an important player for our franchise, certainly. So that will be the hope, sitting down and something that can work for both of us in longer term. And if that's meant to be, and we'd like to have that happen, and we'll see what happens at the end of the season. We sit down, and it's been a, a good thing for us and the Devils, and we certainly miss them this season. You guys have such a good relationship now, but you talk about that first year that mm-hmm. – that, um, that- the team didn't go where you wanted them to. What was the turning point? And there's this famous dinner, I guess, that, that you had or he had with John Hines that really turned things around. What, tell us about that. Oh, it was it was 16, 17. It was first year with us. It was my second year there. But you talk about the culmination of events that were just hard to, to believe, basically, is that, you know, that's his first year with us, of course, the six years in, I think it was six years in Edmonton and not made the playoffs, nor had any of those young players, obviously. And the team that was the 16, 17 team I was talking about two years ago, I was, I was disappointed and it was at the end of the season. Uh, it wasn't an exit. I was so pissed that it didn't matter. Like I only had like four. I had like I think I had four exit meetings. And the first question I would, you want to be traded, huh? Andy, Andy Green or Corey Schneider, like huh? What? I'm like yeah. What? Why do you want to be here? Really? Why? Why do we want to be here? Why do we want to be traded? I don't get it. So when I said you know, so I had dinner with actually with with uh, Taylor. And it, it was a four-hour de- dinner in Hoboken. Um, shortly after the season, on a Friday night, beautiful night out, um, 
so we sat down and had that dinner for, I didn't know if it was going to end in four hours. Everybody thought that was like planned or something. I'm like, no, I just asked him the same question. I asked those other guys, do you want to be traded? And he could have said, yeah. And that would have been check. <laughs> um, and he looked at me and said, I knew you were going to ask that. I'm like, what? He goes, I talked to Corey. He gave me a heads up. I'm like, oh, yeah. So let me say it in another fashion. Do you want to be traded? <laughs> um, and he went, into it. he went into all the things that why he did not want to be. You wouldn't believe this. That was like, it's a beautiful Friday night on Hoboken. And the, the TVs are on, of course. They got Edmonton playing Anaheim in the playoffs. I'm like, this isn't good. <laughs> like, um, what are the odds? What are the odds? It wasn't good. So they're in the playoffs. We're not. Taylor's not. And that was tough. I mean, but it was, it ended up being four hours because it was really what I, just in my point, my career, I, you know, in Pittsburgh, eight years or having guys like Crosby and Malkin and guys like that. And I told him, I said, you know, dealing with players better than you. I don't think that offended him. I mean, I'm talking Crosby Malkin. And, you know, there's something I might do a little, but you know what? Here's my experience. I'm going to share it with you because I've got, you know, I've got two boys um, at the 20 and 22, like not, and he, I, we turned it for our conversation because there's a lot of personal stuff in which I probably opened up to him more than I did with any player about what I'm about, my situation, you know, um, how he felt, why he felt. First question, if he didn't want to be traded, well, why not? And what is it to really dig down as to him? I found a lot about him as, you know, growing up and, you know, his, didn't have any, doesn't have any siblings. Found a lot about his, his dad and his mom and what was important. And I told him, I said, it hurts. I mean, and I had said that, I mean, do you trust me? And he, he told me that he did. I began to say, why? I've been with you for a year. And you've had like seven GMs already. <laughs> and uh, eight coaches. Exactly. So <laughs> I got my level five, but I'm not coach, man. But uh, he told me, I mean, he, he's a smart kid. You know, he's, he did a lot of research and, you know, playing at the end, playing with the world championships or guys from Pittsburgh. I'm sure he talked to whatever as to why. Or I'm like, yeah. And But I want to, I'm like, yeah, you you say you do. That's easy. But I'm going to tell you something like you don't practice that way. You want to be really honest. Here's what I think. And I think that was the, the start of really probably another two and a half hours. To, to, in all honesty, here's, and here's to get where you, you want to be and why you play in the World Championships can all the time, but you don't make it to the Olympic team. Uh, you can make the U.S. team, but it's okay. Um, <laughs> but no, it's uh, to be... He thought well, he was doing be, enough. And how would he know? Like, six years in Edmonton, I, I get it. And, you know, I know it was hard not to take personally that they picked you to trade. And why not me? Why me? You know, it's hard not to feel jilted. Um, and I, I could tell you, it's still, it's hard not to. The, they moved on. They made a decision to trade him. And why, why, why him? And then the year doesn't go as well as we all hope. And this year was okay, but it wasn't what he wanted to be, nor, in my opinion, I wanted to be. And to get to what he said he wanted, and I go, yeah, to me, here is how, in my opinion, and, but on top of that, do you ever lose anybody close to you, like, you know, a grandparent or anyone close? No? I'm like, oh, uh, really? Uh, okay, Taylor, like, you've, do you have a dog growing up? No? Oh. She's okay. Um, like my dad died in 1990, so he was 65. And this when I first heard that, you know, when someone close to you or um, a spouse or passed away, it's basically a year of grieving. I go, since you don't have never experienced that, I have, and I've gone through that. 
and this is more of a life lesson is that there's a game on behind us. I know you, you see it. I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you one year of this grieving here. And then it's done. Like you're done. Like you got to be done. So you got like another month basically to <laughs> woes me. Well, I'm, really, if you're gonna do, like, you're not going to enjoy your life. You're not going to enjoy your profession. You're not going to enjoy. I'm telling you, I've been through this. I've been through those expansion teams. I've been as an assistant GM. I've been through this to do it with a group that hasn't done it. I am telling you, you're not going to experience almost anything better. I just know how special it is. And trust me, I had no clue it would be the following year and it would be the second last game and we would have to go like 12, 2, and 1. I mean, I didn't know that. But it was, it, he had to move on. And it took a year for him. And, um, and that's why the following year where he made changes in terms of his summer routines and did things differently. And, you know, when he, I think he's, I think it was that summer he skated with Sid and all that stuff. And that's a level of different. And if you want to be the best you can be, and you want to be a leader, you want to be in terms of a lot of different things, how you can say it, but you have to do it. So last year was obviously an MVP season, but the whole, I mean, you saw, I mean, you were there, and it's just in terms of how the Devil fans totally embraced him. They were looking for something, obviously, and it was him and some of those post games on the ice interviews with you and, um, you know, Ric Flair videos. And <laughs> it was just, he was all in, and it was just, Everything came together well, and we won ourselves in. We didn't back in at all. That is what I talked about. Like, this group, what, it's so special. I mean, if you want to, like, get dumped in on a team that's been in the playoffs 11 years in a row or whatever, okay, great. But And now, you know, it's the heightened expectations of that, which I don't think we're there yet, obviously, let alone injuries or whatever's happened this year. But that is collectively in terms of a culture that, is so important to building something and, and belief from your fans and but also from your group it's important well you know well, you lost in five to tamp in the playoffs what really i thought we'd lose in three maybe like they're so good <laughs> like you don't think that was meant anything if i'm like really what are we doing you don't think no, that's important yeah if, we, if that and how we did it you know so i think that was really special for the whole group and our fans and but certainly for taylor and you know to see him obviously a season rewarded and see him i was happy for him personally and yeah. MVP. It was just a really satisfying thing. And, um, you know, I wish I had a crystal ball and said, this is going to happen. But that's why when something like that happens, it's not just good for him, but it's great for the franchise and the fans. And as you know, they were since Zach left and Kovalchuk. And it's been looking for something. And they found it. Yeah. yeah it, was a great, it. it was a great yeah. relationship and it was great to see. Your dad, Fred Shiro, you brought him up. Every time you get off the elevator on the 12th floor, at the NHL headquarters in Manhattan. I don't know if you know this, but the quote is painted on the wall, win today and you walk together forever. How old were you when you knew that he was the one that said that? What was the significance for you? Um, well, that was May 19th, 1974, and I was 12 years old, and that was before game six against Boston. For um, They were leading the series three games to two, and there's never been an expansion team won the Stanley Cup, and they were playing Boston, obviously. But that quote that he wrote, on the chalkboard has carried for, I mean, who knows, maybe he wrote it before game five at the Boston Garden, but they lost five to one. I don't think he did. <laughs> so by the game six, I don't know why, but he did. And they won one, nothing. And um, that was first expansion ever win a, a Stanley cup, but it's, it gets, it's been used so much, which is awesome. And um, 
I remember I can one of the Harbaugh's at the um, remember in the Super Bowl uh, and, and the Green Sports Illustrated, and he said, "Win today, walk together forever." And the first time I've ever really seen this, he said that was the flyer coach Fred Show said that. I swear, I'm like, "Holy cow, really? That was awesome." In the Super Harbaugh, Bowl. yeah, like that. And they said Fred Show said that. I'm like, "Holy cow, that's kind of cool." And uh, no, it's that was. Certainly, and I, I, I've heard that. I haven't seen that in the 12th floor of the, the NHL offices, but that's uh, quite the quote, and it's quite the team. And my father, as I mentioned, passed away in 1990. If I'd, probably if I had one question to ask him, I'd say, if you lost Game 6, Dad, like, what, what was the quote for Game 7? I don't know what that would have been. <laughs> like, oh well. And you look at it, though, it's, he, he passed away at 65. That's so young yeah. now. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, feel like cancer. he missed some of, of what you did? Um, what you've done? Yeah, 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 but it was, you know what, it's um, my mom, uh, it was funny because you know, my dad coached seven years. It's, it's hard to hit for the Flyers. and um, Seems like 17. Yeah, yeah, exactly, but it's one of those things, like Dave Schultz only played four years for the Flyers, hard to believe, and it was just a, an iconic time in, in terms of capturing the, the city, and they're still beloved there, obviously, and no one's rooting for a cup more than the alumni, I'm sure. Like, really? Like, can you celebrate these guys? And But it's um, my mom... Uh, was alive when we won the cup in Pittsburgh when I was a GM there and uh, but it was always what's really cool is my my kids they could see their grampy's name on it and their dad's name on it which is kind of cool and um, so that that was good but you know it was you know, growing up around the flyer teams then it's really was something and being old enough to those seven years to remember everything and be around and in the locker room and driving everybody crazy and uh, but there's some special times so it's been it was fun. He is responsible, though, for a lot of firsts mm-hmm. for coaches. I mean, I could I could go down the list, including the first. He was the first to hire an assistant coach. Is that right? Mm-hmm. What do you think was his most important first? I mean, much to the chagrin, I guess, of definitely writers and broadcasters and probably even players. He came up with the morning skate, uh-huh. the use mm-hmm. of video and film. Mm-hmm. He, what, what do you think was uh, most important, or what sticks out to you of all the firsts? Um, I said this during his, when he was inducted in the Hockey Hall of Fame in 2013, and I had gave the speech, obviously, because he had passed away, and there was another first, which um, he was also, the when he played for the Rangers, he was a defenseman for the Rangers for three years, and in the 50s, and uh, he was also um, the first New York Ranger to ever hold a New York City public library card, <laughs> so, and he was, you know, he was an avid reader, wanted to go to law school, all those things from Winnipeg, and... Um, Probably, I mean, first assistant coach. I get Mike Nikolak in 1972 was after my dad's first year. Um, I was just felt not, like he needed one, or wanted well, one, or didn't have. <laughs> well, it depends. Didn't have the an depends ego. which side of the desk you're sitting <laughs> on, because I know, because um, I did have this conversation with Ed Snyder, Mr. Snyder, with Ed Snyder and Keith Allen, and Keith had hired my dad. Keith, obviously, in the NHL Hall of Fame, so is Mr. Snyder from those Cup teams. And but I still remember, maybe shortly after my father passed away, and I was at a flyer. I don't know. I was just talking to in the director's room, they call it the old spectrum. And I talked to Mr. Snyder and Keith. And I, I think I said to Keith, I said, yeah, that's a question. Like, what? because my father coached, uh, you know, he'd won championships a lot. We moved around us with Buffalo and Omaha and St. Paul, Minnesota. We, I was, you know, me and my brother getting dragged around. And um, and then the first year he got, you know, it was the Ranger Farm Team's coach in Omaha. They won the championship uh, for the Omaha Knights. And it was a Ranger Farm Team. But, you know, Emil Francis was the GM coach, and, and he didn't hire my father, obviously, so, but it was Keith Dallin that hired him. And so 71-72, I was nine years old. It was first, his first year coaching the NHL and uh, went down the last game against Buffalo at the old odd, and all they needed is one point, and they're in the playoffs. And um, 
Jerry Meehan came down and got over the red line, maybe blue line, took a slap shot from 55 feet out. And um, four seconds left. Doug Favell was maybe, it was fluttering, whatever, missed it. Four seconds left. It was three to two. I was nine years old, and um, I cried like a baby. And the next day I go to school, it was fourth grade. My welcome to Philadelphia moment. We're living in Balakinwood. I still can't spell Balakinwood, but I was in fourth grade, and some kid on the way to my, my class at like 8.30 in the morning yells through the fence, hey, Shero. I'm thinking, oh, maybe someone can understand what I'm going through. Yeah? Your dad, Favelle, blew it. <laughs> oh, okay. I was like, oh, boy. Um, and you still remember that. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> and um, so it was that summer after his first year, and he was about first, so I guess um, what happened was I'm going to ask Mr. Snyder and, and Keith Allen years later, you know, when he hired Mike Nick, like Mike had been a, um, a, a great AHL player, Hershey Bears and all that stuff, and um, so he hired him. So Keith tells story, yeah, like, how'd that happen? He goes, yeah. So had a meeting after the season. Ed wasn't happy. So bring your dad in and Ed talked about all these things. And, and anything you got to say? My dad's like, yeah, um, I want to like your permission to hire an assistant coach. What? What do you mean? What are you talking about? I, I need help. Like it's too much for one guy. You know, I'm telling you, I need help. My dad left with his briefcase and Mr. Snyder looked at Keith Allen and goes, we fired him like now or just tomorrow? <laughs> like, how stupid is this guy? He needs help? What the, what the hell is this? And Keith Allen just said, Ed, like, maybe we should, like, he's, we hired him. Like, we, we, we went everywhere. So it was really Keith, and they had that conversation. Like, what the, Ed was like, what the, kidding That's me? amazing to and, think um, it so was it so comes odd. In, yeah, and um, so and coming in, you'd see, like, in terms of, can you imagine, like, one coach out there. I mean, back then he had the orange uh, – orange windbreaker and he's got the dress slacks on from Jack Lang and the tie and third practice and then one coach there's guys down the other end like it's a lot right um but then I always say you know how many now the coaches assistant coaches four five four team five it's crazy now so, it's so many there's so many and I say to some of the assistant coaches sometimes who was you know who was the first like what like you should know who Mike Nicklick is uh, okay I'm like, no come on like really kind of a breakthrough and in terms of, you know, obviously with the Russian stuff, he really spent a lot of time there and um, even well before the 72 series, but I remember his Red Army obviously coming in and leaving the ice of the spectrum in 76, but that was, that was you know, the, the biggest game of it. They had just won two cups, but when they beat him four to one, and that was, that was, that was they were the best to my dad. Like my father, that was the biggest game of the year, and they went to the finals again that year and lost to Montreal in four straight. But uh, history of the Flyers and Ed Snyder and Mike Nicklick and all those things. So it's first, it's always cool. Well, you mentioned the Russian connection. I did read that your dad uh, was the son of Russian immigrants, right? Mm -hmm. You're the grandson. Yep. I mm -hmm. actually am too. All four of my grandparents were really? born in Russia. But your dad was bullied as a kid mm. uh, about it. What, did he ever talk about that? Yeah, like he, I mean, it's um, talked about that. I mean, they left to avoid persecution and everything like that. And, you know, I, we talk about this once in a while, you know, our family was around, or they come in. And, and I wish I was older to actually ask questions that I could find out more. I'm just thinking, like, where's the Captain Crunch? Like, really? I, mean, <laughs> I didn't, but it was. But, you, I mean, it's, um, it's really, you know, his background in terms of, um, you know, he was, a, he was in the, the Canadian Navy and he was a boxer. Uh, Stan Fischler, my my first year in New Jersey, I, I have it on my wall. I got it framed. He's got when he played for the Rangers, and you can ask Stan this, but um, he's got the original newspaper 
got from the New York, whatever paper it was at the time, and a, a recap of the Detroit Red Wings at the at New York Rangers game. And there's probably about four photos, black and white, obviously. And Stan pointed out to me, it's like, you know, in the second period, where Ranger fans were number three, Fred Shiro, and Detroit star Gordie Howe engaged in what hockey observers are calling the hockey fight of the season, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, my dad fought Gordie Howe? What? And he lived to tell about it. And But it, it was like, and um, but Stan was doing something about a year ago saying Gordie Howe, basically, maybe the one fight he didn't win or maybe was against Fred Shiro. Because your dad was a boxer. Yeah. I, 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 How like, did he find boxing or maybe you just... Probably, you know, he was really interested. I, even when, I spent a lot of time with my dad growing up back... I, when we were living in Philly or Cherry Hill, New Jersey, for six, seven years, is that I lo- like back then we would go to all the remember they had closed circuit, to go to the Spectrum closed circuit. Boxing was great, so he was really interested in boxing. Just um, and he would give me some tips and stuff like that, and not enough for to get beat <laughs> up. But um, I played whether I played hockey, baseball growing up, or my just get an education. Like he would never push us anywhere, do whatever, just get an education, education, and, um, but that, he had a different upbringing, a different, you know, in terms of, you know, reading and all these things he used to do in terms of sayings, and guys still have these things, like, you know, it's, that's your thing as a coach or a teacher or anything in life, I would think, that's to make an impact on someone's life, and, um, and I think he did, and, you know, I'm, you know, the, the Hockey Hall of Fame and the Flyer Hall of Fame, but, you know, just the, more importantly, if you impact somebody in a good way, that's probably good. And so I think my dad did that. And yeah, so at 65, I was a little too young to, to pass away, obviously. And but it's um, you lived a great life, and it was good. So your dad could fight a little bit when he played. I wanted to ask you, what kind of a player were you? I was a center iceman, and um, I was actually drafted by Los Angeles in ni- 1982. Um, after my after my sophomore year at St. Lawrence, um, played at St. Lawrence four years. But after my freshman year. I was supposed to get drafted that year, supposedly, mid-round, well, I don't know. And I didn't, so I was invited that summer to, um, there was a national sports festival, it was in Syracuse, actually, but before that, Lou Vero, it was it was going out to Colorado Springs for the Olympic, whatever, is basically the equivalent, I guess, of the World Junior tryouts. And that's where I first saw Chris Chelios. I was like, we were so intimidated, because where's he from? <laughs> he played junior hockey at, like, Saskatoon, this guy, what? It was, like, so crazy, And but I tore my ACL out there. And um, it was in July, and uh, so missed all of my whole entire sophomore year at St. Lawrence. And um, when I left St. Lawrence, I guess I was in the top ten in uh, scoring when I left St. Lawrence history, I guess. And then um, then they got a lot of better players, so they tried to ex- like extend it a bit when I top twenty. Well, you know, once I guess like it was working for Ottawa assistant GM of the league. They okay top twelve they had in the yearbook then to 15 then next you know they cut it off at some point <laughs> but that was it was good and um i remember one game my, my father whenever he you know he never ever would talk to our co- my coaches or anything like that ever and he would maybe when he was coaching maybe make one could make when i was at st lawrence remember came to the game at yale and um I, I, we were playing and there's a tight game and maybe one goal game and so someone next thing you know we're killing a penalty but like two minutes left a 2-1 game I'm out there killing a penalty. It's five on four, and next thing you know, I don't know what the heck I was thinking, but I think I basically clubbed some guy with a head or something stupid, and I'm in the penalty box, and it's a five on oh. three for the last, like, a minute 21, and I'm like, oh, my God. My dad's going to kill me. No, no. I, they, no, my dad would never say, hey, you, he would just say, you know, he'd he talk about anything else. Yeah, like, we'd never talk. They'd never. He was supportive. Or, yeah, oh, yeah. Like, it never wasn't a big deal. He never talked to our coach. Like, so 
I don't know what, our goalie primarily saves. We ended up winning two to one, the longest of the minute 21. So I still remember I came to the locker room and there was my mom. She saw smiles as usual. And there's my dad who was talking to Mike McShane, our head coach at St. Lawrence at the time. I'm like, that's kind of, he never talks to the coach. I'm like, what the heck? And so I guess Mike McShane went up to my dad and said, hey, Fred, good to see you. What do you think of the game? Blah, blah, blah. And, and I guess he said, what do you think of his penalty? <laughs> so I walked up, I guess, they were, and Mike McShane looked at me and goes, hey, I'm just talking to your dad. I'm like, yeah. He goes, I just asked him what he thought of your penalty. And only time ever my dad ever said about hockey to me, like in terms of my game, Mike looked at him and said, what do you say? Pushed up his eyeglass and goes, I've been in the game 47 years. That's probably the worst goddamn play I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> I was like, oh, where's mom, by the way? I'm going to see mom. I was in college, and that was it. So now he was uh, so supportive and stuff like that. I'll still remember that because it never happened where he would right. do those things. He was always supportive and, you know, make sure you get your education, you know, and all that stuff. And Get a library card. Get, yeah. I don't think I ever did, but <laughs> yeah, it was funny. Who's the best player you ever drafted? As a, like being part of it, as a GM or? Yeah, say, as oh, a GM, a GM. Yeah. Um, when it was your, or, or when it was your decision, your guy. Who's the best player you think you ever drafted? Mm-hmm. That's interesting. You remember some of the ones that didn't work out. I was actually talking about this last night. Is it's kind of funny how things work out. But it was yeah, my last year with Nashville in 05 was there eight years, and the last pick in the draft that year in 05, Nashville we had the pick and pick Patrick Hornquist, which everybody at that point's backing up and. Uh, you know, with Patrick, it's a Best story. last pick maybe ever. But Yeah, and but I'm pretty sure when I was at, I got the job in Pittsburgh when I traded for James Neal and Matt Niskanen for Goligoski, um, after I after a year when I got let go in Pitt, I think it was that summer that James Neal was traded to Nashville for Hornquist. And then Hornquist scores a cup-winning goal against Nashville, but he's playing on line with Sidney Crosby. The first pick in the nine, overall in the 2005 draft was Sidney Crosby. The last pick by Nashville was Hornquist in the seven. What are the chances of me playing on the same line together, winning the cup? I never knew that. That's correct. I never yeah. thought of that before. There you go. There you go. There you go. Interesting. And then, uh, oh, my first, I remember my first year of assistant GM, and I was only in the job for like two weeks, and Quebec City was a draft in ninth round, Pavel Dimitra. But I was there two weeks. It was so funny. We had him right in the first round, and we lost him, lost track of him. <laughs> Honestly, we did. True story. There was no computers back then, and Jimmy Nill was, a, Jimmy Nill was part of that staff. Uh, John Ferguson Sr. And I still remember Fergie in the eighth round saying to Jimmy Neller, Tim Higgins, or, hey, yeah, I, listen, I, I remember you look at this first page, and everything's in yellow, except for the guy we had 24th, Pavel Dimitra. So he said, who took uh, Dimitra? Who took the Dimitra kid? I missed it. Uh, well, let me check this guy. He says, but that's for like five guys saying, oh, wait a second. Fergie's like, what? Someone run up the central right now. Get Gary Lovegrove up there. See, who took Dimitra? Timmy Higginson running back. He's still available. What? Ninth round, they picked Dimitra. I still remember our first overall pick was Alexander Day. So nine picks. The last pick was Pavel. Great pick, obviously, but we should have picked them early because we had him. In the, we missed it, and everybody else did too. But we had him down, and so Pavel. What a great story! And he actually came down, and he couldn't speak any English. Came down to the table, and Rich Renner's the agent. And are you really sure? I'm like, yeah. He goes, oh. This is Pavel. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, hey. I couldn't speak any English. Had, I still remember this velvet red coat on. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, this is not good. He was supposed to go in the third round, you know. I'm like, oh, uh, what am I supposed to say? I'm just, I'm 30 years old, assistant GM for three weeks. I don't know what to tell him. Like, 
Oh, and he goes, I told him. Worst franchise in the history of sports right here. This is great. Not, oh, okay. I wasn't here last year, but who cares? They're still bad. The worst, this is not good. Like, oh, no, no, it's going to be all good. Come on back to the Chateau Laurier. They got a big party. They have this big bash and so many people, and they have the, you know, they, they introduced all the players that were drafted. First, you know, Alexander Day, they got the party things coming down the stage, and, you know, I'm in the back having a beer with one of our scouts or something like that. No, it gets worse because Rich Winter walks up to me with Pavel, Dimitra. Like, hey. I'm like, oh, hey. hey oh, God, how you doing? Everything, everything okay with Pavel? No, it's not okay. I'm like, no, what? What's wrong now? Like, we got worse? Yeah. What do you mean? How do we get worse? We just like, this is like an hour ago we drafted. I'm like, what's going on? I told you, this is a joke of a franchise. Yeah, I, I heard you. So, Ray, do you understand that they introduced every draft pick on that stage? Except for Pavel. They forgot it. They again. forgot him. Like, what? Like, okay, I started to agree with you now. This is not good. Pavel's sitting there. He looked like so. And then what a great story he came in as an 18 year old, made our team as an 18 year old, and uh, broke his ankle after like nine games. But what a great player. And he had missed those. And um, we we're talking about some trade. And, and uh, someone was talking about the Aginla trade and whatever, because of course they retired his jersey. And um, that year, so also traded for Brendan Morrow from Dallas, that same at the deadline. So it was Joe Newendike and myself, and we traded Joe Morrow in our fifth round pick to Dallas for Brendan Morrow and their third round pick. A few years later, that third round pick, we selected Jake Gensel. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's pretty good. So it's kind of funny how it works. And I was going to um, ask you what's your best pick or your favorite pick mm-hmm. for value because you had some late, but Jake Gensel, is he, is he count as well, value? Jake, well, third-round pick. I mean, Jake Gensel, Brian Russ is playing. Brian Russ, third-round pick. Matt Murray, third-round pick. Yeah, if I could have stuck it out for a couple more years. Brian Dumlin, <laughs> I mean, we, it was in the trade with the stall trade. He was at BC at the time. There were a lot of good picks by the staff there, and you know, it. it um, we trade a lot of first rounders too. That obviously trying to win, and um, but it was those kind of underrated things. And when uh, you know, I got gassed. It was I think two years later when they won the cup, and when you Matt Murray, Rust, Doolin, Gensel. Your fingerprints were all over. Yeah, that well, no, no, but it's team. like no. In terms of yes, you know, the value of the third round or the seventh round or uh, or something like that or. The one the Jake Gensel thing was in Jersey draft. It was funny because Scotty Bell, the scout we hired, great guy, former uh, gopher player, captain, whatever, assistant coach there. Great guy. And But he knew Mike Gensel and the Gensel family so well, and it was really Scotty that I think actually he was uh, very slight, Jake. And I think we'd try – maybe he got a bone density scan on him or something like that we could do. I don't really know what the hell we are doing. And, and it was so funny because that was a big thing. But it was like the trust, I think, between the Scotty Bell and Mike, the, the family. And so we ended up – the draft taking him in uh, the third round. And so, what's it, three years later, you know, after you know, a couple years of college, whatever, I'm gassed. Uh, he's like, next in the playoffs, I'm like, this guy might win the Cod Smythe. So, might have been the second period, they're in the semifinals, something like that. I'm watching, I'm like, Jesus, that's awesome, right? And um, I texted Jason Botterill. Jason was with me for six years, and uh, he was obviously associate uh, GM with Jimmy Rutherford there. And uh, Randy Sexton was still there, and Randy, Randy, hired me in Ottawa and we went to school together. I hired him at Pittsburgh. I must have texted him, those two guys, during the game. And I'm not, maybe Randy, maybe Dan McKinnon, who was there now with me. Um, I texted him like, hey, Jake Gensel, um, did anybody ever find out what the, the results of the, the bone density scan? <laughs> Everybody's like, uh, yeah, don't, well, not, I don't recall. Like, it didn't matter. This kid just got incredible hockey sense and talent instincts. It's a great story, and so you never know.
talking about your time in Pittsburgh, and it reminds me, um, when I was first covering you in Pittsburgh, before I got mm -hmm. to know you as well as mm -hmm. I did covering you every day mm -hmm. with the Devils, um, you always reminded me there was something about you as a GM that reminded me of Dave Dombrowski, mm -hmm. who just won the World Series mm -hmm. as the Red Sox GM, mm -hmm. but I knew him when he was first with the Marlins mm -hmm. and in his 30s, a young GM, mm -hmm. because you're similar in that you're very approachable, mm -hmm. but behind the scenes, mm -hmm. zero emotion if you have to trade a mm -hmm. player, even though you're sort of mm -hmm. outwardly very nice mm -hmm. and calm behind the scenes. And I remember, um, you know, Colby Armstrong was Sidney Crosby's best friend. Oh, he would never trade him. And you're like, make the team better. You have no second thoughts. When you traded Adam Henrique, all those devil fans, boys and girls went to school crying. But I have a chance to get Sammy Votten and he's got more term left on his deal. You make the trade. So mm -hmm. behind the scenes, you know, much different than you are. Uh, yeah. Is that is that fair to say? Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, I, my, my personal... You had to make no, those deals to win that cup. Yeah, you, you know, but it's like... Um, David Poyle, uh, I worked for David assistant GM for eight years, and he was my mentor. And and it's kind of funny when I went to Pittsburgh in, in 06, uh, and I hired Chuck Fletcher as my assistant GM, and he was three years with me, and huge part of winning the cup there in Pittsburgh in 09. But well, David's mentor is, is Cliff Fletcher. Cliff, you know, when David got out of Northeastern, hired him. So you, the, the more values of, of a Cliff Fletcher or a David Poyle and how they deal with people and, and then as assistant GM, the best job ever in sports, I'm sure they, you can, you don't get blamed for anything. <laughs> you can make all the stupid recommendations. And I remember one time, you know, me and Paul Fenton, Paul and I, were, I was, you know, all eight years with Paul and uh, he was director of player personnel. And we would, you know, it's and David, and I said to my staff too, like David, I need ideas. Like you have, you have to be pro like, you know, that David gave you so much latitude to do things and, and make mistakes or, you know, but I need ideas. And so me and Paul, okay, me and Paul, like, we'd be sitting there at his dad, like, how about this? How about this? Let's do this. Let's do this. And he must have had a bad day because he looked at us and said, shut up. Have you guys ever fired anybody? Have you ever traded money in your life? Like, it's well, not so like, easy to do. It's like your job. Like, hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, you haven't. Well, until you do, shut up. Because you, you know what it's like to call that player and, and turn their life upside down? And you know what it's like to put someone on waivers and call them into, why don't you think about that for a second? And so uh, the more I got in, I mean, you find out, and I, when I became GM, all of a sudden you are, and I don't care, the next guy that's going to be a GM, all these lists they do and all that stuff. And I did that job for 14 years, and I loved it. I never worked a day in my life at assistant GM to be a GM. I did it because I loved it. I loved being, it was awesome. And, but once um, it's your responsibility. But it, and that, then you know that, you know, it's the, your decision. And, and I remember David said to me that, uh, um, if you ever get a chance to be the, you're you're gonna know to make the final decision. It's a, so it's different, and that's gonna be your responsibility. I'm like, eh, okay, sounds good. But it, when I was offered the Penguin job, I was also at the same time offered another NHL GM job. I'm like, I'm not prepared for this because I never got an interview before this in 14 years. I'm like, what the heck am I gonna do? And I'm, I still remember I was at a Starbucks in Nashville. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. I couldn't get a hold of my wife. She was, I don't know what. So I'm like, oh god. They called David. I called David. David, you're not gonna believe this. That they call and they offered me that. He's like, really? That's fantastic. He goes, wow. So you're wow. You gotta wow. You're gonna be a GM. That's amazing. So yeah. So yeah. Uh, but David, seriously, like, what do you think? You know, like, and that's kind of what do you think? What should I do? And David said to me, I'll never forget. He goes, right? Hmm. Remember. Um, all the years working together, I told you if you ever became a GM, you would have to make the decision. And I go, yeah. 
I'm thinking like, so what, what should I do? He goes, Ray, you're going to be a GM. And uh, you know what? We make that decision. And where you go, just let me know. Click. <laughs> I was like, what? And that was my lifeline was like cut off. That was a great, like, it's now you're, you're making the decision, not me. So what was it like, like when you had to tell Colby Armstrong that you were trading him? The only way to do it, I learned really quick, is that, you know, it's easy to say because everybody tell you, um, hey, I'm sure your mom and dad would say, Deb, whatever you, just tell the truth. Just be, and they'll, yeah, that's what, but that's kind of really, well, I know one thing, that's the only way to, like, honestly, like, here's the story, here's what's going on. Or I do find that they may not, they'll respect that and, and say, hey, you're going to feed them a line of crap. Like, really? Here's a, really? Don't lie. That, that is, I, then you can live with that. And that player, you find out you're upfront, honest with them. Um, with Colby, I mean, the, we were ahead of schedule. It was like my second, you know, 708. And it was really actually cra- crazy because when we did the deal, it was right before the deadline. And obviously it was Hosa and Pascal Dupuy had done being a, a great story as well with Pittsburgh. But part of it is like, we're talking Marion Hosa here. Yeah. And then it kind of, you know, goes out the window in terms of feel, you have to do what's best for your organization, your ownership, your and you make that decision. That really kind of trumps everything. And again, that call is tough. I don't think it ever gets easy. We could talk forever. And you've actually traded mm-hmm. and drafted enough players we could talk forever, but... I guess this is unfortunately as good a place as any mm-hmm. to, to because end. Because it's really sunny out. Tell you that um, that uh, we look forward to this time next year you being back in the playoffs. Well, we all hope right? so. Thank you very much. Thanks for doing this. Well, thank you very much. Deb. Good seeing you again. Yes, you too. All right, thanks. Well, if there's one thing that you take away from this podcast, from this edition of the NHL Executive Suite, it's that Ray Shiro is a straight shooter. And really just like he does with his players and with his staff, he has no problem saying what's on his mind and – you just have to have a lot of respect for that. He is refreshing. He has been very successful and do have a lot of respect for that. And we thank him for being with us. Don't forget, you can always download the NHL Executive Suite on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. And feel free to drop us a review. We always appreciate hearing from you. Until next time, I'm Deb Placey in the NHL Executive Suite.